0: Welcome to the DC Wash-Up Podcast, number 41, the pre-final pre-election edition. Joining you here in the studio today, I'm your host, Michael Vincent, and we have North America correspondent, Stephanie March. Hello. Super producer, Brooke Wiley. Hello. And a very, very special guest who has been here many times before, first time podcast, former North America correspondent, Jill Colgan, and current... Hands on deck, helper outer, super producer number two uh, for this election coverage. So, Jill.
1: Hi. How many elections have you been through? I've been through one on deck here with the ABC previously, another one helping out, and then a couple where I've been an innocent bystander.
0: (laughs) And you're no longer innocent. You're
1: an American citizen who has voted. It's true. It's true. This was actually my first vote ever. I never voted in Australia.
2: You never voted in Australia? No. Wow. Well, you were a foreign correspondent for a decade? Yeah, but it was
1: more that I never wanted to actually choose a candidate so that I could at least internally, mentally say that I was unbiased. So did you donkey vote or did you just not go? Didn't go. You paid the fine. I think I might have paid a fine. I was away for a long time, so they didn't have to chase me. (laughs) How
2: did it feel voting for the first time here in
1: the US? Oh well, I thought there'd be more bells and whistles, really, and that everybody would notice, but they didn't. It was sort of very. Um, low key and actually it was a bit weird because I thought that everybody could see around me. There was no sort of no guard, no way to sort of hide my vote. It was actually pretty open to the next person standing on my left and the one on my right. Oh, wow. uh, it was confusing. You could go back and forth on the electronic screen so um, but I, I managed I sort of made it happen, and I felt a small thrill of success when I saw the machine suck up my Ballot, And I knew that it had been counted. Well, we think it might have been counted. counted. <laughs> we'll, we'll ask the Trump campaign. Uh,
0: look, I mean, with all this wonderful experience, I think we should ask you a bit more about what it's been like to watch how America's changed over these, you know, over the, what, the last at least
1: 16 years? So 13 years, 2003, January 2003, I arrived here. So coming up to, yeah, 14 years. The last couple of years have probably been the most extraordinary. This campaign that you're all working on. So, when we all say it's been like never
0: like anything else before, and we hear all that hype, it's actually true, right?
1: It is true. I mean, my son is 10. He was eight when this campaign started. So, Mm. he has really had a real sense of um, ongoing anxiety and. Sometimes interest, sometimes wondering when it's going to end, like we all do. But he and we have definitely felt like this has been a real roller coaster. And we've got family members that both that vote both side of the polit- of politics uh, here in the U.S. I'm married to an American, so. Are they still um, talking to each other? They won't be at Thanksgiving.
0: <laughs> there's going to be some <laughs> you, really, you really interesting... You really think so? Like, it's Thanksgiving's issue. Yeah,
1: there's already been a, a, you know, almost a memo set out to the family that we are not discussing politics at Thanksgiving because wow. it's that volatile.
0: Three and weeks after Election Day, that's Thanksgiving, 28th of November. It's going to be a bit ugly around the country,
1: isn't it? It could be. There could be turkey and stuffing flying, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Michael, both... You and
3: Jill have children. I'm really interested. What are the messages that they've been taking from this campaign? Do they come home from school and are they talking about what they've seen on TV or what their friends are saying about the candidates?
0: Yeah, I have two girls. They are Spanish-speaking. They're going to a Spanish-speaking school. All their friends are Latino. You can imagine what the conversations are like around the dinner table. I actually brought my daughter in here you know, working the night of the Access Hollywood tapes Um, to sort of, what was that about, Daddy? (laughs) You're 10. Where do I start? How about you?
1: I have one, a son, as I said, a 10-year-old, who has um, some physical disabilities. And so he saw the um, comments and the video about the reporter that um, Trump made a while back. And so he has asked some pretty blunt questions about where the candidates stand on people with disabilities. Mm. Oh, fantastic. And a few, a range of other things, on education, on immigrants. But that one really stuck in his mind. So he's been following he, it quite has, closely. Have
0: you shown him the tape of Donald Trump and the, the reporter from the New York Times?
1: He saw a glimpse of it, I think. He tends to go to bed at the time that we're finally watching a bit of adult TV. So if he comes back down the stairs and catches a glimpse of whatever we're watching on the news at 8 o'clock or whatever... He might see a little bit, but we try to keep it off the news as much as we can. Still, it filters in around the breakfast table. He wants to know what the headline is on the paper first thing in the morning. And, of course, my husband and I talk about it over dinner, making Mm. dinner. Yeah, I can
0: tell you that those ads from Hillary Clinton, I was even just watching Fox News earlier, and they were saying that those ads from Hillary Clinton were the they have the girls just silently watching TV as Donald Trump says things mm. were probably some of the most powerful political mm. ads ever produced in the United States. Mm.
2: Mm. And the other ones with the, the, the kids, just the, you know, all the different kids watching Donald Trump on TV and seeing him say some of the things also, yeah, very powerful stuff. Mm.
0: I wonder what's going to happen on Tuesday night. Jill Colgan, you've survived <laughs> now. Ah. Oh. Let's see what year. So, oh four, oh eight, twelve, sixteen.
1: That's right.
2: Yep.
0: Fourth, fourth campaign. What are your thoughts?
1: This one, I think, I'll be the most relieved to see finish because it's just been a lot more base, a lot nastier, and it's really lowered the bar in a way that I had never seen in previous elections. And everyone around us, like I, I as I mentioned, my husband's American; he's in a firm. Um, he's a Democrat, his partner is Republican, the firm is split between employees. And so I wonder if we've the Republicans think- are
0: split amongst themselves.
1: Well, we know um, there's a couple of people voting for Trump who will talk about it. We also have um, Republican friends who are voting for Hillary Clinton. So it's created a real sense of anxiety amongst people. And sometimes we just can't go there when we're having conversations about politics because people are so uptight and tense and frustrated and tired. It's been a really long campaign.
2: Did you find that before this election your friends who were on different sides of the political divide would talk quite comfortably about politics?
1: Sometimes, I've found that uh, as the years of, when you ask what's changed, in, when I first got here people were quite comfortable talking about politics. We've watched friends go and live in suburbs that, are, that reflect their political views and live in Virginia or Maryland or... They've chosen to move. They've chosen to move closer to people that reflect their own political views. So our social circles have really um, evolved or have morphed into or to reflect their political views.
3: And do you think that change began during some of the more uh, controversial years of the Obama presidency when Congress really ground to a halt? Is that sort of when that started happening or have you noticed that change sort of in the last two
1: years? I think the origins of it were in 2000 with the election um, when Gore and Bush were... That result had everyone strung out for weeks on end. And to this day, some people feel that there was the right result and um, have been very happy with um, the record of President George W. Bush. Others, Democrats, feel that the election was stolen. From that time on, there has seemed to be... Um, a, a real um, aggression, and Democrats felt that they were playing touch uh, football and the Republicans were playing tackle. So I think there's been a real feeling that it's going to get more aggressive and more volatile.
2: And we could have an almost repeat of that if Donald Trump does challenge any of the results that come in. And I mean, he may have to challenge multiple results if he's actually trying, if he doesn't, you know, get the numbers but wants to keep pushing this thing. It could be even messier than Florida 2000. If
1: it's close, it could be it could drag on and it could be a terrible
2: outcome.
0: No! <laughs> <laughs> we want to go to sleep! I'm leaving this country in you five are. weeks. <laughs> You've got to get out of
1: jail free card. Imagine if it was still going right until the day you left. Yeah, I've thought about that. <laughs> I don't think my wife
0: wants to, but I've thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I, I, I do wonder about this because we are all going to be there on election night wondering listening to the candidates, wondering if Donald Trump will give a concession speech, wondering what sort of concession speech Hillary Clinton will give if she loses, um, and alternatively, what sort of speech she'll give if she wins and what sort of speech Donald Trump would give if he wins. Um, It looks likely that Hillary Clinton will probably win, but it's, you know,
2: depends. Anything can happen.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. anything can happen. True. Who no one could have predicted the 2000, Mm. you know, fight. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's right. And it's just been stunning how in the last – I mean, really, when that Access Hollywood tape came out two, three weeks ago, I know here we all sort of went, well, that's the result then. Clinton's got it in the bag. Ooh. We you know we know what's going to happen. And it was almost like a bit of a relief just to have some clarity. Um, and now that the race has narrowed so much, like within the margin of error in a lot of – or in all the polling averages, at least, it's just – it's stressful. That's what I've found. I feel stressed. Like, yeah. just watching it. I mean, it's exciting as well, but, you know, just the, the, the lack of knowing what's going to happen is, I don't know. <laughs> Taxing. <stake, laughs>
3: especially when the stakes are so high. Yes. I mean, you can have a close election, but, you know, sometimes the parties aren't that distinguishable. In this particular case, the stakes mm. are super high and True. the candidates are polar opposites.
0: Well... Both of us have been out on the road this week, mm. Steph. You were in Florida. I was in Wisconsin. I'd like to hear what you think about, uh, and Florida's such a big state, 29 electoral votes, electoral college votes. Um, it's on a knife edge. I mean, that's not a yeah. cliche. That's the truth. It really is. It really uh,
2: is. And the the thing that I took away from Florida is – I went to a Hillary Clinton event, and she always has smaller events, and there was probably a thousand people there. Um, Talked to a lot of them in the line. They were incredibly passionate. There was a lot of get out the vote effort happening at that rally, people going up and down the queue have you voted? Have you voted? Uh, And if they haven't taken details, they've got these, um, you know, everything's done electronically through apps now. So all the canvassing groups know whose door's been knocked on and who's done what. It's incredibly um, well organised. We went out door knocking with some uh, union representatives who were door knocking for Hillary Clinton. um, And it's an incredibly well oiled. Machine in terms of that, you know, because they don't have compulsory voting here. So half the battle and most of the battle at this Mm -hmm. pointy end is dragging people to the ballot box. It's not saying, you know, trying to convince them anymore. The minds are made up. Um, very well-oiled. And, you know, that's what they say wins elections in America is the ground game. And so that's why I think a lot of people are very dismissive of Donald Trump um, because he doesn't have those teams of canvases, He doesn't have the phone banking to the degree that Hillary Clinton does. But going to the Donald Trump event where there were thousands of people, it was in a fairground, he had a stage, it looked like the Rolling Stones were about to come on, the queue was just, you know, down and around and out the door and whilst a lot of people sort of say well that's all just bluster and you know people come out because they love his crazy zaniness and Show they're not actually just, yeah. yeah they're not they're not actually going to vote um i wonder i mean i think it's a it's a studies have shown that you know donald trump voters may be less educated but I, yeah, they're not stupid they're not they're not they're not um non participating members of society if they want to vote, they know how to vote. Like, just because there's not someone knocking on their door, and often those people that Hillary Clinton canvasses are trying to get out of the Hispanic people or minority groups or people who struggle to access, you know, ballot boxes. Um, but, you know, a lot of Donald Trump supporters are, you know, a white, are, 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 you know, have a Republican, so they're more reliable voters generally. So I just wonder so much whether that, oh, it's all right, you know, Hillary Clinton supporters say it's all right, she's got a better ground game. I just don't know if that's going to play out this year.
0: And that's where the college educated white women of the suburbs of Wisconsin tip it, yeah. will tip it in her favor. They will hold their nose and vote for Hillary Clinton. That's the sense I got in Wisconsin. Even though we talked to a farmer, we talked to, you know, a former Democrat voted for Jimmy Carter. I mean, how do you go from voting for Jimmy <laughs> Carter in your lifetime and voting for, you know, Donald Trump? I I, I find that in polar opposites. But wow. uh, you know, that these are people that um, are really jack of the system. Mm. They want to change and they see him as that, that vessel and they do want – they're fighting for it and I just don't think they will convince the people that have been turned off, especially the women who have been turned off, by his behaviour that's been recorded, by his um, – yeah, by – essentially it comes down to that question of, you know, is he fit to be president and I think they'll come down on the side of Hillary Clinton at least for the presidential level, at, at the Senate level and everything else, I think there's still traditional Republican voters at heart and will qu- quickly put in that check and balance they want against her. But Wisconsin, a lot of angry people, a lot. It's, it's really interesting travelling around this country. The sense of anger and frustration and the, oh, outside the rally, the shouting and nastiness between the two camps, that's what shocked me the most. In Inside the rally, I'm used to going to a Trump rally or a Hillary Clinton rally and it's all, you know, it's, it's charged and it's electric and it's all very hyped and that's the way they, they do it. But outside, where it's literally barriers, police, barriers, you wonder what would happen after this election if one side – when when one side loses, what does the other side do?
2: I have a completely different view, actually. I find that there – I mean, yeah, it's vocal, but Americans are quite vocal – Anyway, they, you know, it's, it's it's America's very entertaining. People are very loud. People are very forward. Um, what I find interesting is talking to both sides, and you know, we'll be discussing policy, and we might, you know, start discussing, you know, do you agree with this? What do people think in Australia? And you know, I'll openly say to both sides, I disagree with that. I disagree with that, whatever. And people actually go, well, you know, it's good that you feel you can say that. We should be able to have this discussion, and that's what both sides have in common. They both feel like the discussion is not being had between both sides and maybe it just blows up in these sort of shouting matches. But when I've talked to people about challenging issues, particularly say with Republicans on guns and, you know, trying to explain the Australian perspective and the difference of views, and they're actually really open to talking about it when it's done in a calm way. But in a way, I wonder whether is it the candidates that are you know, ginnying up this really emotional kind of response from both sides, whereas back down on the human level, maybe it's actually people would be prepared to have these conversations across party lines if there was more encouragement to do so. Maybe I'm an idealist. I don't know. But what
0: gets people out to vote?
2: (laughs) The big, yeah, the the rallying cry of the candidate.
0: And the problem, I think, in the United States, I'm interested to hear what you think, Jill, is that there's frickin' elections every two years. You know, you know where I'm going with this. So okay. The point. The point is, you talk to Republicans in in DC; they tend to be tend to be, you know, more moderate. Um, maybe you know, hard right on on economic policies, fiscal policies, and stuff like that. But they can flip either way on social issues. Whereas you go to places like Midwest, you know, Texas, parts of Florida, um, you know, uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, and it's hard right, and it's our way or no way. And you wonder whether what would happen if it was the flip side, if it was the Bernie Sanders people that had the, the whip hand with the Democratic Party saying it's our way or the highway like the Ted Cruz you know, thought he did in the Republican Party until you know Donald Trump came along. Do you really feel that the, the Republican side's been seized by the hard ride?
1: Absolutely, and I think they would agree with that. I think you would talk to a vast number of Republican members who would agree. I mean, you've got the... Um, as you know, the Tea Party has you know, morphed. came out, has morphed uh, the Freedom Caucus. It's become a really strong, powerful contingent of hard-right Republicans that have basically wielded um, an extreme amount of power in in Congress. So I think that... I, I
0: hear they're looking for leadership positions now. Mm. They may well be soon again. Well, no, it's in, happening in two weeks. November 17, there's leadership positions up, and they reckon they're going to get one, and that's the first time, mm. and that's the sort of... No longer are they banging on down the door. they got the foot. They won't, they'll be inside the door.
2: And so does it's, that it's, it's, essentially it's, mean they're going to stop trying to unseat Paul Ryan, the House Speaker, but they're just the going to be... That's so the compromise. That's the
0: compromise they're talking about. Very, like, it happened overnight. They had this meeting overnight, and, and today they're talking about, all right, if Ryan gives us a seat at the table, we'll stop asking him for him to be sacked. The problem Ryan's got then is, of course, sorry. We're talking about table. Speaker Paul Ryan, by <laughs> so the way. Speaker, sort of Speaker Paul Ryan, the most senior uh, Republican in the, the Congress, and he's 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 possibly the only one that could bridge the divide after this election between the Republicans and the Democrats, and actually get some legislation through and work with Hillary Clinton at least until the next on election some issues, on yeah. some issues. At least until the next election election yeah. in two years' time, the midterms. So,
2: but is he the only one, or is he the one to bridge the divide within the Republicans? That's possibly (laughs) important. This is the
0: problem. Tuesday night, we'll find out. Does Donald Trump just go full bore? Screw you, Paul Ryan, you cost me this election because you didn't campaign. Yeah, yeah. because you didn't campaign with me because it was the day after the Access Hollywood video came out. You said, I don't think you'll be coming to my event. Thank you very much.
3: I don't know that Paul Ryan can carry the weight of Donald Trump's defeat. Uh (laughs) I think Donald Trump has been an active participant in some of the controversies that have surrounded him. But he doesn't take
1: responsibility for any of it. Can I just ask yeah. you all, as someone who's, who has been out of Australia mm-hmm. for a long time, how do you see, because there's been much criticism, how do you see the, the American media playing a part in Trump's rise and how it's played out, how, the, role, how the, the flows and ebbs of the campaign, the tightening, the widening, the tightening again, how do you see that as uh, the media being, having any role at all?
2: I wonder if Michael and I will disagree on this one, but I think it's been – I think the media is going to have to have – the American media has to have a big reckoning after this. And I think there's a great irony in the fact that the media has largely been criticised for creating Donald Trump by giving him copious amounts of free media initially, and now he's destroying it and he's turned on his creator it's very frankenstein he's he's really riled up these alternative media outlets he's there's talk of trump tv his live his campaign is doing a live stream show every night for an hour or so with all his pundits on it um there's such and there's just such skepticism among american people about the american media like the, the, donald trump and hillary clinton are the two most unpopular presidential candidates in history. Mm. Do you know what's more unpopular than that? The media in America. And that's really sad. And I think... Mm. And, and that's I don't in know. a
0: country which has got, if you want to just live in your bubble and listen to what you like affects yeah. your views, like if you just want to watch Fox News on the right or if you just want to watch MSNBC or if you want to go to the Young Turks even further mm. out on the left or if you want to just go to Breitbart further out mm. on the right, you can do that. You can, you know, Rick Tyler, the former uh, comms guy for, for Ted Cruz said, you know, these people don't shop in the same places, eat in the same places, consume the same movies, watch, listen to the same music. They just don't. Mm-hmm. The, the United States has just sort of split in the middle and just gone to their camps. And even at the edges, it's fracturing out even further. And that's why I, I was amazed. I was staggered early on in the campaign. I think early this year, February or March, I was watching MSNBC, uh, the sort of leftist, uh, more left, liberal, uh, little liberal TV for 45 minutes, they had Donald Trump on the phone talking to mm. him. And that's when you realised this is not about thinking he's the best candidate. This is about using him mm-hmm. as a way of getting interest in the TV channel. And likewise, he's now moved on to only doing Sean Hannity, mm-hmm. dropping Megyn Kelly. Who's on Fox. Who's on Fox News, right? Yeah, and, and only – who's not even a journalist. He's a, he's a, a, a commentator. And moving on to uh, Bill O'Reilly's show because Bill O'Reilly gave him a platform uh, sort of without sort of asking too hard questions. And then at the same time, you've got the sort of the same people from MSNBC who gave him all this, you know, time now sort of criticizing him endlessly Mm. for being what he was always along, all the way along, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's really interesting watching that sort of profit motive at work Definitely. in the journalism business, and we don't work with that, frankly. No, I, mean, so. I mean,
2: thankfully. And the partisan divide, um, the partisan lines the media are on have become so much more apparent. And I d- again, I don't think we have that in Australia either. We don't have really distinct biases the way that we do here in
1: America. Unashamedly. Um, Distinct biases. There yeah, exactly. isn't really disguising it anymore. There was to, be, to initially to begin with. Mm. People, you know, oh. you hear Fox's uh, motto is fair and balanced. Um, you know, there would be the others on the left who would say that that's not true and probably vice versa. Mm. They say the same about MSNBC. So the people are unashamedly opinionated. There's,
0: there's mm. a really good cartoon. There's been many good cartoons in this campaign. I know this doesn't quite work on radio or podcasts, but if you can <laughs> imagine. Um, Essentially, it was a pod, it was a it was a photo, uh, sort of a sort of a drawing of um, a Republican whispering in Donald Trump's ear, and Donald Trump was saying all these things, you know, this that Mexicans this and you know Muslims that, and, and he's saying, you know, we only used to whisper these things, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's kind of it. It's mm. that whole thing of what was once said behind closed mm-hmm. doors, or maybe you know amongst a few people over beers, mm. is now hell. I don't care anymore. I'm going to say what I think none of this political correctness, I don't care who I offend, and...
2: And that's what people love, because they're sick of being told what to... The people who like him, they're sick of being told how to think, what to say, what not to say. And to
1: to curb their speech. Mm,
3: Exactly. Steph, Michael, you guys have been out on the road, as we talked about before... Because the polls are now so close and we're within the margin of error, I'm really interested to know whether you found that voters were talking about the issues that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are talking about, or if they were talking about kind of core principles that generally separate the parties. And the reason I ask this is because it seems like one of the themes that I've come across while I've been speaking to, in particular, Trump reporters, is that they seem more concerned with things like abortion than they do with things like the wall, even though Donald Trump has spent months and months talking about the wall and has only spoken about abortion quite briefly. I'm wondering if that was your experience on the road.
0: i got two quick points. We talked to a bunch of people in this rural city in Wisconsin and pulled out a couple of them, um, young family, Republicans, pulled out the next girl. What do you do? College educated, botanist, did a, did a call. Uh, Hillary Clinton, I loved her. Such a great speaker for women. I, okay, cool. Great. We've got, a, we've got a Democrat. Let's wrap this up. Uh, but I voted for Donald Trump. What? So, he literally, just finished telling me how wonderful a speaker Hillary Clinton was, how inspiring she was, how much she was standing up for women's rights, and then she said to voted for Donald Trump. I said, "Oh, and why is that?" And she said, "Well, I had a really hard time thinking about it, but I spoke to my family, and in, you know, I couldn't in good conscience vote for her. I, I voted for him on the issue of abortion." And I went, "Oh, okay. So, hang on. In one second, you're talking about your, you know." Your view of Hillary Clinton and then and, and putting her on a pedestal. And then you're talking about Donald Trump. I almost didn't want to tell her. You realise that Donald Trump's had 16 different versions of his you know view on abortion yeah. in in 24 months or yeah. six 24 years. I mean that's the other crazy thing about this election, the number of times he's changed. And the other issue was going out to a farm, talking to a dairy farmer, and literally walking past the milking shed and hearing, you know, rural Mexican music playing on like what? Like is this a, like this seemed very ironic? And he's a Trump supporter. But he has Mexicans employed on his farm because they'll do the work that Americans won't. And he supports Trump. It's just this this election is fascinating.
2: The thing I've found is the Hillary Clinton supporters I've been talking to have been talking about the issues, namely... Obamacare. something needs to be done about that. Either you repeal it if you're a Republican or if you're Hillary Clinton, you try and fix it because it's not in a viable situation. Mm -hmm. That's a really big thing for a lot of people. I'd say the majority, the first thing they bring up, um, education and respect for women are the other two things that people have been talking a lot about. Interestingly, Donald Trump supporters I've been talking to much less about the issues, more about the concept of breaking up the establishment. Um, And, you know, to the point where you could have a conversation with them for 15, 20 minutes and nothing about the wall, nothing about Mexicans, nothing about any of that. And it's just Hillary, if you want to, you know, other than just we need to get, you know, power out of money out of politics, it's, you know, Hillary Clinton, she's untrustworthy. She's a criminal. Um, she deserves to be locked up. And that is just much more overarching. And yeah, if you probe, obviously they have opinions on the issues. But if you just let people talk, that's the stuff they want to talk about, which I think is, again, it, it, it speaks volumes about why Donald Trump has become a phenomena, even when he has what is widely perceived to be a lot of controversial views and policies. Last
0: Last points, guys. We're going to have to wrap this up. It has been fascinating. I've really enjoyed it. Um, we will speak to you after this election. Yay. If the world still here. Dun,
1: dun, dun. Maybe.
3: We'll here. speak to you after election day. Yeah. We don't know
0: what the outcome
3: <laughs> will be. <laughs> uh,
1: final thoughts. Jill. In, I hope that it's a clear, um, uh, absolutely clear outcome and that we don't have – an outcome that is still to be resolved days or weeks or even months later, I think it would be really bad for this country and I think the country has been absolutely injured by the whole process.
3: Brooke? I hope
1: for what Jill hopes
3: for, but I think it will be exactly what she fears. I don't (laughs) know that we're going to have a clear result and even if we do have a clear result... Donald Trump is such an unpredictable character in this election. I can't see him giving this sort of humble concession speech when he's been speaking so comfortably about what he's going to do in January when we get to Washington. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens.
2: I'll take a different point of view. And people on both sides of politics are very alarmed at the potential outcome of this election. And I just think it's worth saying that no matter what happens, We may be in for a very weird time, but the sun will still rise, the birds will still sing, and we can all still be nice to one another. It's not the end of civilization as we know it.
0: All right. I have stayed out of predicting the election the entire time. (laughs) I never said Donald Trump would be be a a one-trick pony, that he'd be out in the primaries. I never said he would um, lose the election. I'm going to say he's going to lose the election. I'm going to say that... I'm going to say that I'm quite happy to say that I think Hillary Clinton will win. And that's just on the numbers. That's not on anything else. Just talking to people and the stats, the, the, the pollsters, all the stuff, all the Republicans are even saying that they're expecting to lose. And they're the ones that have the data. We don't. They have to poll sort of the early numbers and stuff like that. So Hillary Clinton to win. Possibly, you know, close election. Possibly not. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye. Thanks.
1: Bye.